0: Welcome to the conversation at airsafe.com. I'm your host, Dr. Todd Curtis. This is show number 82, interview with bird strike expert Dr. Ron Merritt. On January 18, 2009, three days after the bird strike-related ditching of U.S. Airways Flight 1549 in New York, I interviewed bird strike expert Dr. Ron Merritt. He's currently the president of Detect Incorporated, which manufactures bird strike avoidance radars. He was also at one time the military commander of the U.S. Air Force unit responsible for understanding and reducing bird strike hazards to Air Force aircraft. For the next half hour or so, you'll hear Ron and I discuss a variety of bird strike and wildlife hazard topics, including the need for wildlife experts in the U.S. Airways Accident Investigation Team, wildlife control policy issues, and the history of the key bird strike organizations in the U.S. and Canada. This is uh, January 18th, three days since what may have been what I used to term the mother of all bird strikes, the event that, if it ever happened, would so galvanize the aviation community and the regulatory community that there would be titanic changes in how bird hazards are addressed. Let me just start off and throw a bomb out there. Do you think this was the mother of all bird strikes? Well, uh, I hate to say it, but let's hope so.
1: Let's hope that we don't have something larger and more uh, devastating looming nearby. But uh, rare events uh, that can be catastrophic uh, are, are rare but, but random and that ran in that randomness you know we could have one worse tomorrow or later today uh, so let's hope that the uh, flight 1549 was in fact our 911 of bird strikes but uh, you know just as we all are ga- guarding against another 911 uh, from terrorists, we should be guarding against another 1549 for bird strikes so we'll see if this is the mother of all bird strikes
0: So on the one hand, it was good in a sense of, in fact, it's beyond good, that everyone survived and no one's critically injured. And for that, we're all thankful. Among other things that was fortuitous about this is that this happened in New York City, guaranteeing massive coverage for now and the future. One of the things I always used to worry about, and I think I voiced this concern over the years, especially at some of the bird strike uh, conferences, was that should anything ever happen that had the attention of the world, that we would have maybe one or two news cycles, 48 hours at most, to have some chance at controlling which way the discussion would go. And one of the things that was put into place by the Birdstrike community was birdstrike.org a few years ago. And of course, other communities, other organizations have websites and such, which in my opinion, was one of the go-to places for the media, which is why you, me, and a whole lot of other folks in the business got all kinds of interviews that day.
1: Well, that's correct. And an interesting thing about that, you're talking about the, the news cycle of it, right. is that uh, in the last 48 hours, yes, there's been just a flurry of activity and a lot of uh, news agencies. I've, I've talked with CNN. I've talked with uh, Discovery, Fox, uh, ABC, and CBS. Uh, but the thing that's been a little disheartening up to this point is that they, they just kind of skim the, the surface of the issues. They want 30-second sound bites that they could put out to the media and... and or scroll across the bottom of, of the screen on television, saying you know what, you know, a couple of, you know, birds damage air aircraft, birds damage engines. What they haven't done is is really ask the hard questions. And I was sitting there this morning at my desk when I wrote five pages of what I'm afraid of, and what I'm afraid of is you know as this news cycle rolls out in 48 hours or so, and is c- completely uh, probably overwhelmed by the inauguration of, of Barack Obama which is a great news story and a great event. Uh, hopefully the splash of, of this uh, U.S. air flight won't won't be completely doused. Uh, there's a lot of hard questions that need to be asked and answered. The public needs to be somewhat aware of these things. And I'm afraid that in the, the because of the way the media works here, is that they just want little little tidbits of information and they're not asking the hard questions.
0: So in your opinion, what are the things that uh, we, the bird hazard community, can do to uh if not counteract that, or at least make those ideas and those hard questions readily available to the public and the press.
1: Well, you know that's a good question. You know, it, how do you, how do you get this information to who needs it, and and more importantly, who is it that really needs it? Is the public going to make any decisions, and if so, how do they how do they do that? Uh, and I've been thinking, perhaps that you know, maybe I'll take this my manifesto, if you want to call it that, mm-hmm. and. Uh, and and email it to a handful of congressmen or senators or somebody in the transportation committee. Because as the NTSB goes forward with the investigation, it's exactly what they do with investigations. They go forward. They go from the time of the bird strike forward in time where, you know, when the engine failed, what the aircraft was doing, what the control surfaces were doing, what the air crew was doing, and all the way down to where the plane hits the ground and yada yada. And that's our investigation. You know, did the plane perform as advertised? Did the components fail or not fail as advertised? And were procedures followed? And typically in a really good bird strike uh, accident investigation, there'll be an expert on bird strikes there in part of that team, which I'm not aware that there is a person of in-depth knowledge of bird strikes on the investigating team that would go backwards from the point of impact. Why were those birds there at that time and place? Was it randomness? was it you know a daily pattern is it something we should have been aware of is there technology and and i'm convinced there is there's available technology right now that can detect those birds crossing the the traffic pattern uh that information can be brought uh, to the aircraft controller's attention if there's a willingness on the aircraft controller side to to take them the information uh you know we've spent uh, an inordinate amount of time you know i guess it's been a little frustrating lately to hear even some of my colleagues in this business saying, well, radar is experimental. Radar is not experimental. It was experimental in the 40s. You know, It's a, it's a technology that's solid and well-used and, and well-proven, and, 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 well and its ability to detect birds is, is documented back to the 60s. And it's been frustrating for me over the last, gosh, five, six years to watch the FAA kind of uh, dance around the edges of this technology by sort of studying it, Uh, the group in in Illinois that's been investigating radar for the FAA over the last five years came to our office uh, a couple months back and brought with them a uh, a piece of equipment that was there to test uh, the frequency of a radar. Now, the only analogy, Todd, I can give you that Mm -hmm. is, you know, if I have a truck that's been carrying boulders from point A to point B, and then you come to me and say, hey, can your truck carry something else from point A to point B? I say, yeah, my truck can carry all kinds of things. And he says, okay, let me test your truck. And you come out and you and you stick a machine on the on the truck to measure the RPMs of the engine. That's completely irrelevant to you know how the radar can be used you know for, for bird detection and bird avoidance. It's, it's just completely maddening. No, <laughs> you know I don't care. How many RPMs the engine runs. And why would anybody? Why would the FAA be out here with a a biologist testing? the frequency output of a commercial off-the-shelf marine radar.
0: Now, before we we go further, I'd like to back up and talk about a couple things, because one point you mentioned about not being an expert on the uh, investigating team. Yourself, you had several years heading the Air Force Bird Aircraft uh, Strike Hazard Unit, correct? No, that's correct. And, you know, at the time, and even today that that unit still exists, uh, the military has had these organizations, Yeah, the Navy has one, Air Force has one, I don't know about the Army, but they've been around for quite a long time. They have a right. reservoir of information. And uh, do you see a possibility of the current uh, BASH team being involved in this investigation or any other specific professional organization you can think of in the wildlife hazard community?
1: They, they should be. You know, I don't know why. Uh, you know, I, you know, I've been on a dozen accident investigations in the past. And I know that there's a, a great deal of, of um, I don't know what the word I'm looking for, tight lippedness or whatever it is. There, you know, there's a, a, a kind of a good old boys group, and they want to make sure that the people involved in the accident are professionals, know what they're doing, and, and know the rules of, of, of doing investigations. Um, and I'm a little surprised. We, but we've been to the NTSB, actually, we, our company, uh, different people from our company, myself included, over the last 10 years have talked to various people at the NTSB, you know, offering our assistance if they have such an accident. Uh, and, and they said, no, no we'll, we'll let you know, we'll call you, we'll call you if we need you. And at the end of the day, you listen, like I did uh, yesterday on the news, heard an NTSB investigator saying that you can turn the radar on the aircraft on and that will cause birds to get out of the way.
0: Uh, where did that I don't come from? Lot, much
1: care. A gentleman on, from the NTSB on, on the news just, I don't know, it's, it's urban myth. You know, we can flash the lights out of, from the landing lights. I thought the, the few tests that were done with that were completely inconclusive and showed no promise whatsoever.
0: Well, that, uh, and that, it that,
1: gives the public the false sense of security that something's being done. And That, that, brings, up,
0: that brings up another issue, which uh, I didn't know exactly how to bring it up to the uh, wildlife hazard community, but the role of storytelling and myth-making when it comes to this event and what comes forward. As we speak, a story's being written about this event. The miracle on the Hudson that the governor of New York said, which, you know, I have no problem with that. But there's a story that's being developed outside of the hands of the bird hazard community. And the story may get away from us. And what could we do to possibly have some input into making sure the story, not just the factual event sequence analysis, but the actual what sort of ideas, what sort of top-level you know, analysis or top-level summary does the public take away from this that's truthful well, That's accurate that helps us and,
1: and that that'll be i'm anxious to find out what the answer will be in the long run but what, what you know i'd like to see happen and uh, you know obviously we'd like to see a group of people uh... that representing the various areas of expertise in this uh, come together i think the ideal way to make sure the public uh... gets a good sense of this would be for a congressional uh, hearing where a panel of of government Experts or government uh, representatives uh, call the various individ- organizations, not just Bird Strike Community USA, but within Bird Strike Community USA, you have competing interests uh, and, and cooperation as well. Uh, U.S. Department of Agriculture has grown, uh, Todd, since you've been involved in this, uh, you know, orders of magnitude in terms of the number of people involved in doing wildlife control on the airport. Um, so they have a vested interest as sort of a government consulting uh, industry. Uh, and, and having uh, telling part of this story USDA also does a lot of the testing of equipment noise makers and, and analysis of some of the ideas on habitat management so there's there's a part of the story the FAA wildlife biologist who's new to the front office up there I guess even in the last month or so since the retirement of
0: Richard since the retirement of Richard Dilbert?
1: Well, actually, Dahlbeer worked for USDA in, in Sandusky. Uh, mm-hmm. as a uh, USDA guy was Ed Clary that was in Washington. Right. And Clary retired over a year ago. That office sat empty for a year. Um, and I guess you know about Bruce McKinnon up in Canada. Unfortunately, of course. We lost him last year. Yeah.
0: For the benefit of our audience, let's uh, roll back a little bit. Uh, there are several fairly important individuals and groups around the world, especially in North America, who have been involved in wildlife protection, bird hazards, strike hazards to aircraft. One of them was the USDA research unit out of Sandusky, Ohio, which was headed until recently, his retirement, by Richard Dolbeer, a USDA uh, scientist. And we had Transport Canada, a gentleman named Bruce McKinnon, who, has, who was the foundation of much of what was happening in Canada and to a large extent in the U.S. when it comes to putting forward the agenda of dealing with this issue in both countries. He recently was killed in a plane crash. And, uh, of course, Ed Cleary is an FAA person who had been with the FAA for, I'm not sure how many decades, but he was very knowledgeable about the issues and the people in the community. And, of course, like any professional community, there's always change, people moving in and out. But one of the things I want the audience to get a sense of is this has been going on. This business of worrying about this issue and dealing with the issue has been going on for a long time. And there are a lot of folks out there who have things going on who coordinate those actions. So I just wanted to give that background. So go ahead, please.
1: Yeah, that was excellent. Uh, there are several groups of, of, of business organizations and, and, and government interest in this issue, all of whom have a, a maybe slightly different perspective on how this story should be told. I think everyone should tell their part of the story um, You know, when it comes down to, for instance, what, what's going on at the airport. Every airport should, by this point, especially big airports, have a wildlife hazard assessment document in place. Uh, someone that went out, uh, was either the airport, a consultant for the airport, or the Department of Agriculture, Wildlife Services, someone has made an assessment of the hazard at the airport. I think it would be good to know uh, you know, how all those assessments stack up against each other in kind of a grand scheme of what the risk is across the United States. Uh, it would be interesting to know, particularly at LaGuardia, uh, once that, you know, uh, hazard assessment was done, it would be interesting to read that assessment, would be to look at what management plan uh, was fashioned or crafted as a result of that uh, wildlife hazard assessment and who, in fact, did that. Because, again, there's various organizations, consultants, et cetera, that have a hand in actually developing the management plan, which includes training and bird identification and methods, et cetera. One of the key parts of that plan is, you know, what are the prioritized... Uh, Management uh, initiatives that the airport's going to take, and when are their expected completion dates? Uh, that should be part of the uh, investigation. What was LaGuardia, uh, had, what had they identified, and what were they working on?
0: Speaking of LaGuardia, I just wanted to point out to the audience that we're recording this three days after the accident took place. And although the pilot said, the report from the pilot was that he had struck birds, and they were identified tentatively as Canada geese, to, to your knowledge, Has there been any backup of that? Have there been any carcasses found on the ground, or anything to back up what we know tentatively so far?
1: No, and and it's you know again, it's 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 sort of like the investigation occurring in the media. They keep calling it a double bird strike, and of course, maybe I'm a purist, but I thought nobody knows that it was a double bird strike. A double to me is two. Maybe they had double engine failure, but there could have been five uh, birds involved. There could have been one bird involved, and you know there was a you know series of, of Circumstances where the both engines lost power, it could have been due to a bird uh, strike in each engine. It could have been a strike in one engine and the wrong engine inadvertently shut down. Um, you know, there's a lot of things that we don't know what, that happened um, that have to. You know, that the investigation will reveal as we go along. I was a little distressed uh, when I heard a, an NTSB investigator uh, assuring uh, reporters that not to worry about the biological evidence of, of the bird strike in the engine because. You know, these, uh, this type of evidence remains for long periods of time. And I thought, not really. It's biological material. And if it's in a body of water that has little, little beasts that are uh, like crabs or, you know, what, depending on what the salinity of the water is, what types of animals are living there, a lot of animals and currents will carry away a lot of the forensic evidence. So, you know, to me, there's always an urgency uh, to uh, recover the, the power plants as quickly as possible and have and break and you know, tear into them to find out what it is and how many that you know potentially hit that, to determine whether the component uh, you know behaved as advertised or if it failed.
0: Let me point out that the aircraft was in the water for roughly 48 hours, and that only one of the two engines have been recovered. One was still on the wing; the other one wasn't. So, uh, like as you were pointing out, uh, some of the evidence is still being affected by the river, and who knows what might be, might remain after, however many days it's in the water.
1: It, exactly. It's it, it just a point that you know that there there a, should be an urgency to uh, investigating a bird strike or wildlife impacts uh, that might not normally otherwise occur to engineers. You know, you know, th- thaw damage, you know, or foreign object damage to an engine, you know, and, and blades failing. They should be able to tell that, you know, long after the fact when they tear the engine down. But the biological component of this strike, you know, offers a new challenge. And again, too, you know, the, the, the investigation will go forward from the point of impact. And, you know, we need to go back and look at, specifically at LaGuardia, what was being done for bird control and wildlife control. We need to look at the tower to find out, you know, how the tower was scouting, you know, scanning the air uh, to look for bird activity in and around the airport, if they do that at all, if they have time to do that at all. Uh, it appears, and again, I'm just getting this from the news, that, you know, this strike occurred, at you know, anywhere at f- 1,500 feet to 2,000 feet which is very high uh, altitude, once want to say very high uh, for resident geese to be just moving around the town. These, these may have been birds that were m- migrating. They may not have been resident geese. Who knows? Uh, but there are ways to scan the atmosphere 2,000 feet easily uh, using radar. So, I mean, there's technology out there that's available to um, alleviate this problem. There's just not been a, a wellspring of, of uh, uh, activity or, or support for that, only I mean, as much as all the different components, all the different players in this uh, problem are competing for limited resources. The USDA and Wildlife Services guys are, are competing for money, uh, and they, they feel that it's very important to get the, the job done right at the airport. And I agree, that needs to be done. The, har- the harassment and habitat management needs to be done. With limited dollars, they're not uh, likely to embrace a radar system.
0: Do you see, well, you mentioned having a congressional inquiry of some sort in the public eye. Uh, do you see something forming right now that will be similar to what happened in uh, 96 after the 95 uh, AWACS event that is the NTSB having a uh, convening a meeting with a lot of the players who are involved in that as well as many of the people in the wildlife hazard community
1: I don't know I, I would hope so and, and you know the only thing I can do as an individual is to you know ping on a few congressmen that I know personally and a senator I know personally to try to get that forum established. Uh, you know I don't think anyone has anything to hide here I think all the different pl- uh, players if you will stakeholders uh, all have a story to tell and, and, and certainly all want to raise the flag that supports their particular initiatives uh, there's plenty of flags to be raised and there's plenty of work to be done uh, and you know it, 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 there's it's like said the several components certainly we're, we build radar systems we'd like to see radars become more commonly used on airports we'd like to get some support top-down on, on getting aircraft controllers involved in using the information and help us, helping us shape how that information needs to be delivered to them. Um, that's one thing. Uh, you know, I'm a little concerned over the last uh, eight, ten years uh, that the U.S. Department of Agriculture has grown uh, to over probably 500 biologists on airports nationwide. These are great men and women that do a good job. They're dedicated, they're, they're motivated but I'm not real sure they should be federal employees. I, you know, I, I don't see that as a, I'm, I'm kind of known around the group as, a, as the guy to the left of center, but I, I guess I move to the right of center on this. I, I think there's a lot of private business opportunities, at airports for consultants and for wildlife control and management. Uh, that's really, you, you know, just been overwhelmed by the federal government's USDA program. I can't compete. I can't put a contract in to compete with USDA when they've already got trucks. They've already got health insurance. They've already got, uh, all the supervisory and accounting overhead covered by the federal government, they're just having to pay for a biologist. Um, that makes it rough. I think the airports and air carriers need to step up and, and fund this fully, as a, you know, as, rather than lean on the taxpayers for it.
0: So, uh, so your argument isn't necessarily that the USDA won't do a good job, but you're saying that given that they're there, it's difficult or impossible to have uh, different ideas and different ways of doing business to actually come to the forefront.
1: You made a really good point there. One thing I want to make sure that's crystal clear is I'm not criticizing the the wildlife biologists at USDA Wildlife Services. They're some of the sharpest, most motivated men and women I've ever met. They're great. Having said that, though, you made a point that's salient here: is that when you have any one large organization that oversees and manages an issue like that, you get a you start to develop a culture of how you do work and. And to that end, uh, you know, the, idea, the opportunity for new ideas and innovation uh, sometimes is kind of overcome by the institutional inertia. An example of that is typically uh, USDA Wildlife Service's efforts are viewed, uh, certainly by the public and by, by a lot of the environmental you know, do-gooder groups, as being rather heavy-handed in use of depredation or lethal methods. And I understand often why USDA uh, kind of goes to the big gun early in their, in their escalation of harassment techniques is that they're not always at the airport sunrise to sunset every day. They come in for a certain number of hours a day or a week or month uh, to assist the airport. So they, don't, they can't use those more subtle, constant harassment techniques to move wildlife away. So they basically come in you know blazing guns because they've got to get it done and get out of there. Um, and I think sometimes that's a mistake. Uh, but it, it's a mistake sometimes out of necessity. Uh, you know, everybody you talk to and are going to interview in this will have from you know, you know will sell the story from their perspective. I'm a radar guy. I'm going to try to make sure that radar becomes uh, a player in the future. Uh, the guy who runs border College thinks you know border College are going to be the answer to everybody's problem. Uh, the guy who flies falcons will tell you it's falconry. Uh, USDA will tell you you need federal people who are involved in this because it's a federal issue because of wildlife permits, et cetera. Everybody will sing the song from, from their sheet of music, and it's going to take a unique uh, conductor, if you will, to orchestrate this into music and not noise. Uh, someone who will be able to you know bring the right crescendo at the right time to the right player. Uh, and, and I don't know who that person is. You know, you hope that it's Bird Strike Committee USA, but you know again that's um, a, 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 an organization that is also in, in uh, transition. John Ostrom. Up at the Minneapolis-St. Paul is the brand new bird strike uh, Committee USA chairman. As you know, Canada—I don't know if they've appointed someone to take Bruce's place yet or not, uh, or how they what their selection process is. Um, Clary's gone from the FAA, and you know, so everything. It's an unfortunate time to have—if you call it—the the mother of birth strikes occur.
0: In a uh, sense, the like Strike Committee USA is almost a virtual organization. There is no permanent staff. There is no permanent headquarters. There are no lobbyists in Washington or Ottawa. Uh, and most of us have uh, duties or responsibilities with other organizations.
1: Well, you're absolutely right. It's a virtual organization, uh, and again, uh, not being disparaging to anyone involved in it, because again, it's basically most people taking this out of their hide. There are no paid employees. Uh, it's all, for lack of a better word, you know, for, for the love of the business and for the concern uh, for what we do. You know, it's almost like a religion. The people who follow this issue closely is it. You know, we're believers that what we do makes a difference, and when an accident like this occurs, you know, everybody has to sort of check their six to make sure that we've been doing all the things that we think we should be doing uh, to to minimize it. We're not going to eliminate this uh, issue. I mean, bird strikes are always going to occur. We're occasionally going to have catastrophic bird strikes, but we still should be taking the. You know, how often do terrorist attacks occur in the United States? You know, once in a, in my lifetime and in the last nine years or eight years we have spent billions and billions if not trillions of dollars on on defense uh, of efforts to try to make air travel safer from terrorists bird strikes occur every day and you know and we're not, I, I doubt we're going to see you know, a fraction of the resources turned uh... towards solving this issue and and maybe i'm i'm guilty of helping perpetuate uh, the calmness to that, because even on the news the other day when I was asked, you know, should people be really worried about this? And I said, well, don't be really worried about it. You don't want to be an alarmist, but maybe it's time to alarm them. Maybe they need to think, my God, you see 10 starlings out there? You could spot an engine out.
0: Here's a possible marketing point or marketing attitude. It's like, well, we had this event with U.S. Airways, and every time you take off in an airplane, every time you're at risk for a wildlife strike, bird, deer, or something, but every time you take off in an airplane, you're not at risk at, uh, of uh, crashing in, in the water because sometimes you're not flying over water. Every time you're flying around wildlife. Yes. So it's not alarming. Yes, but it puts the risk in perspective.
1: Yeah, and I think what happens though is because you know the planes don't keep falling out of the sky, and uh, the, you, know, soon, you, know, you know how long will it will be before this particular news issue cools off and, and we don't think about it anymore. It, you know, it was in 1995 that Canada Geese hit a, a, a Concorde, Air France Concorde, over at JFK. Destroyed one engine and did damage to a second engine. The aircraft was landing. If it hadn't been landing, it would have been catastrophic. Absolutely. The, and Air France sued the Port Authority in New York, New Jersey, uh, for damages on the engine, and they settled out of court for a little over $5.5 million. And the reason I know about it, I was hired by Air France as their consultant, to review JFK's wildlife program and to review the depositions of all the individuals who were on on the job at the time, and the program was woefully inadequate and com- completely inappropriately managed. It was just a complete nightmare. You know, they could if they'd gone to a jury that had gotten ten times that money, and you would think with that that you know JFK and the Port Authority would would really get busy and excited. Following that, the, the lawsuit uh, JFK did hire a, a wildlife biologist, um, and you know to, to handle the bird and wildlife issues at JFK, Laguardia, and I think Newark. Uh, and certainly, you know, I think that individual has done a great job. But I don't know that you know they have all the uh, the resources necessary, you know, that to, to do what they need. I'm sure in this investigation, uh, you know, that those people will be queried. And certainly, if you know if you're working for the company, you're being uh, investigate on the outside. You close ranks and, and try to, you know, play your cards as close as best as par- possible. You don't want to bite the hand that feeds you. You don't want to, you know, implicate your organization or your boss as being inadequate. But you know, it maybe it's, it's time for the rest of us on the outside to make sure that uh, you know the hand that feeds that program uh, is sufficient. That the, you know that those people are getting the support, equipment, uh, and, and that they need to, and to, to really do a good job out there. It's a bird-rich environment. This isn't the first time a goose has crashed an aircraft in New York City. Uh, like I said, Concord in 1995, um, no one died, and, and you know, certainly didn't make a, a big news splash that lasted for days and days. Didn't make a splash at all because the plane landed on the runway. So, uh, you know, that's something that we, you know, that I hope would be in the dialogue, that I hope would be in the investigation, is something we need to see going forward over the next few year to see if, if. After all, the smoke or dust has settled, or in this case, the water sprays and foam has settled, uh, that you know, responsible actions are taken afterwards.
0: Uh, a side note on uh, JFK: I don't know if it was a goose, but there was that Overseas National Airways uh, DC-10 back in the seventies that hit a bird on takeoff, trashed the airplane. Everybody survived. So this yeah, makes... that was, those
1: were uh, those were gulls that time, and, okay. and those gulls were most likely associated with all the landfills. Uh, that at the time were operating near JFK. Now some of those have been shut down. So, but JFK has also been the site of uh, a huge gull problem uh, since the mid 90s or early 90s. Actually, uh, they were shooting thousands of gulls every year that were breeding on on Joe Marsh, and then flying across the airport to you know to go get food for their uh, for their young, etc. And it was an extensive shooting program. Quite a a, a chested up and battle, if you will, between. Um, the, the airport and the park service on, on what to do about those birds.
0: What do you uh, predict will be the atmosphere and the ideas flowing back and forth at the next Bird Strike Committee USA meeting, which I believe is in September in, uh, actually it's not USA, it's the one in Victoria in September.
1: Yeah, that's a joint meeting of Bird Strike USA and Canada will okay. be in Victoria uh, this coming uh, late summer, I guess it is, or yeah, late summer, September, I think.
0: I think it's like September uh, 14th, somewhere around there.
1: Right. You know, it, it you know, to find out having uh, been part of the original group that started Berkshire Committee USA back in the I can't remember it was late '80s or early '90s when we really started this committee, and having watched it kind of grow over the last 20 years, uh, to, to try to predict you know what the atmosphere is going to be like. First, uh, you know, it's going to be sad because there will be a meeting in, in Canada without Bruce McKinnon. Right. Uh, and then, of course, this will be, and I hope that this is the centerpiece of discussion. I hope hope that between now and then. We don't have, you know, the mother of all bird strikes part two where we actually kill somebody because that's still a possibility. You know, usually when rare events occur, we think it's like a lightning strike. It's so unlikely to happen again. And it could, you know, unless we really work to, to, to prevent that. I think a lot of how that meeting goes will depend on what happens in the next couple months mm-hmm. in terms of how the investigation goes, uh, what issues are brought to light, and whether or not anyone starts pointing fingers at each other. And, you know, kind of calling each other out. I, I, I hope that doesn't happen. I don't, I don't think that will happen, uh, knowing the people involved. But I think everybody will be maneuvering, if you will, to try to, um, especially in a, an economy, global economy and a national economy that's sagging, you know, to try to bolster their position. I mean, I'm a businessman. I have a small company that builds bird detection radar. It would be really helpful, you know, for our company. And my employees, you know, if, if we got a backlog of orders for bird radars, Certainly, that'd be an opportune thing. You know, you don't want to be an ambulance chaser, chaser. But here is a, a, a circumstance that is exactly what we've been pointing to for the last four or five years, saying, "Here's why radar is a solution that reaches beyond the fence of the airport to altitudes that you can't see with your binoculars. That aircraft controllers can't be scanning the skies all the time for and sees in the dark. You know, it's not perfect, but it's it's heads and shoulders a bit above what's available today. by my product." Uh, it'll save you money and lives. So you know that's my my pitch on it. But at the same time, I also know that as budgets get tighter and tighter, and airline uh, getting you know cuts back, and airport fees go get shorter and shorter, airports are going to be thinking about what well, can we afford to keep the bird control staff? Do we have a bird control staff? Uh, can we afford to send them to the meetings? You know, uh, for training. So I think as as dollars get tighter, uh, the competition amongst my uh, colleagues will get fiercer. And subsequently, you know, how this particular incident is leveraged, uh, you know, into what happens to us financially as businesses. And that be an interesting thing
0: to watch. And my, my last, uh, my closing note here is that uh, I call this, or at least I refer to this as the mother of all bird strikes, not because of the end result, because obviously everyone survived, but because it happened in such a way where the entire world knows about it, where everyone in the business had to step up and start doing things, be it uh, marketing what they have to offer or giving interviews or whatever. This is the kind of thing that we all knew would happen one day, and I think it did. Now, if this had happened in East uh, Bumrush somewhere and there was no uh, media around, it might be days before we figured out it was a bird strike, and there would be absolutely nothing done. So I say that to say this is an opportunity to move forward, while at the same time not be saddened by the fact that lives got lost in the process.
1: Oh, you're absolutely right. I mean, in in terms of uh, the perfect bird strike event for us in, in the industry, because there was no loss of life and because it, it occurred in such a spectacular way, and and cameras, I mean, we've actually been seeing you know, security camera shots today of this thing actually get you in the water in New York City, you know, which is the, the centerpiece of the world right now, maybe opposite Washington, D.C. for a couple weeks, but... Uh, You're absolutely right. Uh, This is an opportunity that most of us, hopefully, will never experience again that are in this business. And we we certainly need to to be smart and reasonable about how we deal with it.
0: Well, on that note, I think we'll end this uh, conversation. I'd like to thank you again for being with us, Ron Merritt of uh, Detect Incorporated, maker of uh, Bird Strike Radars, but more importantly, an advocate for this business for the last, good gosh, 15, 20 years? Yeah, it's been 21 years now. Good golly. (laughs) The NTSB investigation of the U.S. Airways accident is still in its early stages. For updates on this investigation, and for links to related items and to the latest news from airsafe.com, please visit hudson.airsafe.org. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time.